Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessing of, of this day that you gather us as a community of faith. And I, I do pray, most gracious God, that you'd be in the midst of us. And as we reflect together now, ultimately that you would speak to us and that we would hear uh, from you and, and hear from your word and that it would bring, uh, bring light to us. So again, we give you thanks and praise that you've drawn us together. We pray that you'd be in the midst of us and that we ultimately might hear from you. And we ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, the title of today's uh, class... Hey, guys, good to see you. Um, yeah, the, the, the title of today's class is um, Why Can't God Be Sensible? And, uh, and, and in many ways, I, we, I, I guess really what that title really means, knowing human nature, is why doesn't God see things our way? Um, why doesn't God act and work in the ways that we think he should work and move in the ways that we think um, he should move? And so we're going to kind of explore that a little bit um, this morning. And uh, as, as we start on that, um, did any of y'all read the Mitford series? Um, they were kind of girl books, but I liked them. Um, anyway, so I'll just I'll come clean. Um, it's the the Mitford series. Uh, it's about uh, Jan Karen is is the author. It was, it was really it was a um, don't mock me. It was a great series, um, and I enjoyed. But anyway, the main character is Father Tim. He's this um, he, he's the rector of this Episcopal church in this mountain town in North Carolina, and he's uh, you know he's a 60 year old bachelor um, that um, this. Um, this artist, uh, Cynthia, uh, moves in next door, and um, so anyway, it's kind of the story of their their life. They they fall in love, they get married. Um, yeah, spoiler alert. Um, so anyway, because um, y'all might rush out and start it today. Uh, but anyway, they they get married. Now remember, uh, there's I forget how many books there were in in the series, uh, but as I say, it was enjoyable. He's uh, Lord's Chapel was the name of the church he was rector of in this in this town in North Carolina. And there's this one part, uh, Tim and Cynthia, they, um, late in life, they end up um, uh, adopting this boy, Dooley, um, sort of this this uh, mountain child who, uh, you know, needs uh, needs a home. So here they are, um, the octogenarian parents um, of, this, of this young boy, Dooley. And at one point, they can't find Dooley, and um, they're, of course, as you might imagine, they're anxious. They're 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 pulling their hair out. They're trying to figure it out. And um, and uh, Cynthia says to um, Tim, uh, she says, "Well, you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray the prayer that never fails." And I was I was kind of fired up about that. I was like, "Sweet!" Um, I was I was ready to get this prayer um, that never fails. And does anybody you know what the prayer was? <laughs> Thy will be done. <laughs> I thought, ah, you're kidding me. I thought I was going to get this fabulous, you know. The, the prayer to open, um, open everything. But yeah, it was, uh, we're going to pray the perfect prayer, the prayer um, which never fails, and it was, it was thy will be done. And I thought, okay, that's true. But, um, you know, I wanted something like, um, Lord, um, hear my prayers and, and, and grant to me what it is that I, that I think I need um, and want uh, and long for. I guess human nature being human nature, that's the prayer that really I was, I was more interested in. And, you know, uh, the the whole why can't God be sensible? Why doesn't God see things our way? Why doesn't God act in the way that we think he should act? Why does God not um, act in the time frame that we think he should act in? And, you know, it's interesting. We uh, I didn't uh, preach on this this morning. Um, hopefully you all noticed. Uh, but it was on the gospel. And it was you know, the gospel is one of those great sort of quirky um, 
stories that that Jesus tells of this. Uh, you know, I, I love this story. You know, the woman keeps this widow keeps coming to the judge, and you know, the judge fears neither God nor man. Um, is not a righteous person. Says, you know what? She's wearing me out. Um, so I'm just going to I'm going to give her what she wants, so she'll she'll go away uh, and 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 leave me alone. And you know. Jesus um, tells stories, and God sometimes acts in ways which just don't seem very godlike um, um, to you and to me. You know, the whole story that we reflected on this morning of, of Jacob and Esau, you know, that, that, that God's patriarch, um, Jacob, the, the one actually receives the name Israel, um, you know, he, he chooses this character um, to, to give the name Israel in many ways to be sort of the great, 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 however many greats, um, grandfather of, of, of Jesus in the line. That's, it's kind of a strange way uh, in which God seems to work, uh, strange people that he seems to work through. I, I went to a conference years ago. Um, it was uh, uh, it was the, uh, this was, gosh, like back, I don't know, 2001 maybe, uh, the Purpose Driven Church Conference out in uh, Saddleback with um, uh, Rick Warren. It was really, it was a, it was a, it was a fascinating experience, uh, as you might imagine, just going out to Southern California, you know, in and of itself, um, from a guy from the Southeast was, you know, was, was very different in, in the way. But anyway, he had, he's kind of the master of one-liners. Uh, but at one point he said, you know, he said, I found over the years that God uh, enjoys blessing people I don't like. Um, and so it's kind of, it's kind of the way God seems to work sometimes in ways which are surprising um, to you and to me. But what is it that, what is it that gets in our way? Uh, what is it that gets in our way? And, and part of what I would say to you is this. Part of what gets in our way, um, not part of, what gets in our way is our human nature. And, and the fundamental problem of, of human nature, obviously, we might say is sin. But, but I'd say kind of the fundamental problem of human nature is idolatry. And, you know, going back to, going back to Adam and Eve. And, and ultimately what idolatry is, is wanting to place ourselves in the place of God. Um, so that's, that's I, I think, the fundamental challenge of, of, of human nature. We don't think we're sufficient, and yet, sort of subconsciously, uh, we still want to place ourselves uh, in, in the place of God and, and think that God should act the way that we think he should act and move the way we think he should move. But as you read through the Bible... And it's interesting, we, we see that in many ways the way that God goes about things is not very sensible, and the people God chooses um, d- don't seem to be the people um, that we think he, he would choose or should choose. Let me, let me toss this out, and we can have crickets, and that's fine, but if you want to say something, you can. Who are some of the funny characters that God has called to be his representatives, his servants, his leaders, as you think about um, the, the sort of scope and witness of the Bible? Moses, yeah, I mean, Moses is one of the ones that always jumps to mind, and I, and I love, you know, Moses saying, you know, thanks, but, um, you know, I've got this whole stuttering issue, and Aaron, my brother, is a much better candidate than, than, my, than myself. Not only that, I mean, you know, uh, my man's a murderer, um, which is kind of not the best credentials um, to bring um, to the table to be a, a leader of God's people out of bondage and into, into the promised land. Moses, yeah, absolutely. Five points. Uh, da- yeah, David. I think we know. I think all we kn- we know all about uh, good old David. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
before Bill Clinton, there was David. Um, you know, I mean, he, my man, my man had some issues. Uh, and yet, um, we see that uh, in his repentance, and, you know, um, God's grace and mercy, yeah, working through David. Yeah, exactly, absolutely. <laughs> Who else? Samson, absolutely. Uh, Paul, yeah, Paul, Paul, and in, in, in the New Testament. I mean, I love the account in, in the Acts of the Apostles when um, uh, when when Paul is uh, sent to them and they're told that hey, Paul's coming and you know, uh, and y'all are going to work and I'm ultimately going to restore him and he's going to undertake this mission to the Gentiles and and basically their response is you know, are you are you sure about this God? You know, you've you've heard about this guy. Paul, right? Um, so yeah, they're they're shocked at God's choice on that one. Um, fabulous. Any any other? I mean, of course, we could kind of go on all day. Any others? John the Baptist. Oh yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, John the Baptist. Kind of like Paul. I don't think John the Baptist would be great in a social setting. Um, you know, you tend to think about you know someone that can work well in a group and you know um, get along with others and bring consensus. Uh, I don't think yeah, either Paul nor um, John the Baptist would have been. That's right. Uh, you brood of vipers, um, who warns you to flee from the wrath that is to come? You know, you think about the twelve. Uh, you, you think about the apostles. Pardon me. Peter. Oh, Peter. Exactly. You know, you had Im- impetuous um, Peter. You had you had tax collectors and you had religious zealots and you had fishermen. I mean, what a what a quirky, uh, eclectic bunch that God chooses to work through. Not not sensible selections um, when when you think about the group that he put together. If you know if we were putting together a vestry, um, you wouldn't. This that might not be the twelve. Although you know, uh, except for Wally, you scratch the surface on vestries, and they've got plenty of uh, they've got plenty of issues as well. Uh, every yeah, exactly every group of vestry members um, that that's out there. But what I part of what I want to contend to this morning is is this. Um, why does God not act sensibly? For, for starters, obviously, I think part of the challenge is um, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. He's, he's obviously has a scope and a perspective um, that's, that's greater than ours. But what I'd also like to contend is, is this, is that the human condition is in such a predicament that, that our salvation, that the resolution, that, that the healing that is, needs to happen in our, in our hearts and in our lives is beyond a sensible solution. If the situation is dire to the extent um, that a sensible situa- solution it isn't going to be um, sufficient. You know, you think about um, we're people who are in need of more than just a tune-up, uh, more than just a little tweaking. We're people that need to be um, rescued um, altogether. There's there's the necessity to get radical and 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 to go beyond um, the the normal here. If any of y'all have ever had <laughs> uh, any family members with with for instance ad, uh, addiction and not just addiction but that can certainly be one of the things with with addiction uh, and trying to intervene in those situations. Um, I can remember we kind of did a I think we did probably the worst possible uh, intervention ever um, with uh, with my brother-in-law. This was um, years ago. Um, and it was one of those, the situation was such that we couldn't just say, hey, you know, let me just talk a little sense into you. You know, you really, you know, you need to make some changes and you need to do this. And then, you know, it's kind of, we, we, we had to, the situation was drastic. We had to, we had to respond um, in, in a drastic, in a drastic way. And part of the message of the gospel also is that God has come forth into the world um, not to make bad people good, 
um, but to make dead people alive. Uh, he hasn't come into the world to make bad people good. Um, you know, you're bad and I'm going to work with you and then you're going to be good. No, he's, he's come into the world to make dead people alive. Uh, Paul writes, you know, you were dead um, in your sins and your trespasses. But, but God made us alive uh, in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's uh, from, from dead um, to being made alive. And one story that I wanted to uh, look at just a little bit, and I say there's a, there's a bunch of them, but um, look at a little bit this morning uh, at the story of Gideon. Um, you know, we mentioned some different folks, and uh, it's, it's in Judges, uh, Judges 6. And uh, how much do y'all remember uh, about Gideon? Yeah, of course, you remember he was the guy that went around putting Bibles um, in hotels. Um, that was <laughs> it's kind of when we remember Gideon um, for, for, his, for his work. Uh, and that um, Gideon, uh, if, if you remember, uh, you know, the people of Israel, you know, there's, there's always um, some trouble of one sort or, or another. And uh, funny, Paul has uh, been talking to me lately, um, which is an improvement. And um, anyway, so that's a joke. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so she's been talking um, to me lately. And, um, you know, and she's talking about it. And if any of y'all have kids or multiple kids, you know, she's talking about, you know, why is it that it's, it's never, it's never all right, you know. Sort of, if you get, if you get two um, together, then one's um, out of sorts. You know, it's sort of like you, you never get sort of everybody's, everybody's squared away and good. There's always sort of, and obviously sometimes it's more than one you're worried about, but it's always at least one of them um, that that you're worried about, and you think, oh, you know, finally, whatever. Jack's Jack's okay. Well, now we're worried about Maisie, um, or you know, it's Maisie and then it's Sally. It's always. Uh, it's always something. It's kind of like that for the people of Israel. It's always something um, going on for them. And this is a little tangent, but uh, when, um, when, when God promises rest um, to his people, uh, and, and particularly, you know, of course, we think of Jesus, you know, come unto me, all you that travail and are heavy laden, and I'll give you, uh, I'll give you rest. But, but also, and the, and the promise, particularly in the Old Testament, when the people of Israel are, are, are promised rest, that's, that's actually so much meatier than it than it sounds to you and to me because you know at least for me when i think of rest you know i think of maybe vacation you know you go and you you know some sun some sand some seafood or something you know a little you know nice nice rest and you kind of recharge your batteries and it's and it's and it's good and enjoyable and you kind of pretend reality's not going on for you know a few days and you go away and that's kind of rest well for the people of israel and the people obviously at biblical times they, were, they lived in, in, uh, under constant threat, uh, not only of, of, of you know drought and, and, and natural disasters, and when you, you know, when you when you subsist and sustain yourself by sort of agriculture and things of that sort. I mean, those are those are very real um, threats to your peace and to your security. But not only that, there was always one force or another from the north, from the south, coming to um, overtake them, coming to. Um, destroy them, coming to enslave them. And so when God promises rest to his people, um, that what he's ultimately promising them is, is, is his protection, his security, um, his, you know, his shielding them um, from the threats which constantly um, assail them. So when God promises rest to his people, I mean, that's, 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 that's a huge and meaty word of assurance and word of hope which, which he gives to a people that, that could in some ways never um, rest um, that could never um, let their guard down. So when he promises rest, that's that's a tremendous uh, assurance given to them. So Gideon, Israel, this time 
um, it was the Midianites um, that were oppressing um, the people of Israel. It's, it's kind of like, um, uh, just shows the, 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 uh, the breadth of, of my study. Uh, you remember there was that uh, animated, you remember the ants um, and the grasshoppers came in and um, Humor me. Um, you know, they, you know, the ants did all the work and they stored their stuff away. And then, you know, the big bad grasshopper bullies came in and, you know, took, took it all away from them. That was the Midianites. They were the grasshoppers. Um, you know, the Israelites um, were, were the ants. And so they were oppressed by this people. Uh, this people um, were just uh, sort of uh, uh, oppressing them um, into uh, despair. And um, so Gideon is called by God. And this is uh, six. Uh, this is the sixth chapter, beginning um, with the eleventh verse. And it's actually, um, it's it's really it's really powerful, but it's but it's also um, humorous as well. And I'll and I'll tell you in a, mem- in a moment why. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, uh, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So Gideon is beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Well, as you might guess, as you might deduce, um, you don't beat out wheat in the wine press um, for, for obvious reasons. You don't want wheat in your wine. But, um, but, but not, only, not only that, you did it on the air and you'd, you'd beat it and you'd, you know, you'd, you'd toss it up and for the wind to carry the chaff away and sort of this, you know, sort of this process. It was something that you carried out um, out in the open. Well, why is he, why is he beating it out um, in the wine press instead of out in the open? Because to, to hide it from the Midianites, they, they'd swoop in um, and, and they'd take it. He was scared, and for that reason, uh, he's doing it there in the wine press. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, "The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor." Um, that's the, that's the Old Testament humor there. Um, the guy's hiding out. Oh, mighty man of valor. Um, the Lord. Um, the Lord is with you. Here's this word which, which comes to him. And, of course, um, Gideon was, was the farthest thing uh, from a mighty man, of valor, mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until um, you return. So he, and he goes, and he prepares an offering, and he, and, he, and he comes back. But but interesting, it seems the farthest thing uh, from sensible that he would come to Gideon. And Gideon says quite rightly, he says, you know, um, not only am I the farthest thing from a mighty man of valor, but, but even among the tribes, um, I'm, I'm from the least. And not only that, if that's not enough, even from the family, I'm kind of like the, the run of the litter, if you will. He says, you know, seriously, are, are, you, you, know, are you calling me? Are you going to work 
um, through me. And as it goes on, and I won't go through all the details, you can, Judges uh, 6 and 7 and following, you can, um, uh, you can read it. Uh, you can go home and, uh, and read it for yourself. But, but Gideon, through all this process, he, he, um, he says, okay, God, you know, I, 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 I trust you, but can you give me just one more um, assurance? Just give me uh, just give me one more sign and just give me one more and one more and one more. And he keeps asking for a little assurance uh, and a little um, and amazingly, wonderfully, graciously, um, the Lord, uh, the Lord does that. And this is the last little part we're going to talk about this morning as, as we look at um, as we look at Gideon. One of the things that Gideon is told to do and he goes out and he destroys um, the altars of Baal and the Asherah poles. Um, and so these were the, you know, the, the pagan worship that was present. Uh, among the people of the day, and he and he took a bull and and tore down the altar at, at God's instruction, and then offered the bull in sacrifice. And he cut down um, the Asherah pole, which was sort of a fertility goddess uh, type worship that was, you know, this this paganism in the people uh, of that of that particular day and that particular that particular time. And 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 as you might imagine. Um, uh, the, the the pagans and the people worshiping that weren't real excited um, about what he did, and and now they're now they're coming after him, um, kind of like you know Elisha before him when a uh, uh, Jezebel didn't take kindly um, to his slaying of the prophets of Baal, and she says, you know, as God is my witness, if he's not dead by the end of the day, um, let it be me. And and of course he, he he takes off, and you know, wonderful example of God not working in a sensible way. But let me just tell you, here's what happens. Um, so Gideon. Um, is now um, uh, in this in this fight um, with with the Midianites, and then uh, here's a really curious thing. Uh, in seven two, we hear the Lord said to Gideon, "The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home." And hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. Um, uh, apparently, there was a practice back in the day. Um, makes me think of uh, makes me think of stripes. You know, when they go to uh, enlist um, in in the army, and they're they're asking the various the various questions. Well, um, there was apparently a practice like if if people were were genuinely fearful. You could get out of service because they didn't basically they didn't want it to infect the other troops. You know, if, if the guy next to you is 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 coming unglued, that can have an effect on morale. So, um, so here's here's the crazy thing which happens. God keeps whittling it down, whittling it down, whittling it down. To Gideon has uh, here's your trivia question for today: How many men? You know what? You'd be superstars if you got the answer. Um, 300. Um, so until they get down, I would have been super impressed um if you'd know that but he actually gets him down to to, to 300 um but 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 here is uh, here's the deal uh why is god doing it so the people don't think they did it on their own um and they not only would they would they boast in themselves um but but here's the problem is they would begin to not only boast in themselves but what uh, they'd begin to trust in themselves uh and that's that's a setup for them. Uh, that's a setup um, for you and and for me as well. And so God accomplishes um, this victory in in a very unsensible way, but yet a way in which uh, they knew 
um, that the power came from God. It was God who worked. It was God who accomplished this um, in the midst of them. And so we see God, God's uh, amazing uh, economy uh, and the way that he invites us to um, look at his economy and the way that he works in the world and the way that he works through people um, like you and me in a, in a, in a surprisingly um, miraculous uh, and gracious way. Uh, years ago, I, um, uh, my, my dad's parents were, 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 were quite a pair. My, um, my grandma and grandfather were funny. My, my grandfather was this big, um, gregarious, generous guy. It was back in the day. It was funny because I remember as a kid, um, it was back in the day when people actually carried money. Um, you know, and I, I can remember, you know, going out with him and he'd just, you know, he'd start, he'd start, you know, peeling the bills off. And my grandmother was, was very Scotch. She was so tight. Um, and she was so tight and so frugal. And it used to drive her to distraction um, when he would do stuff like that. I can remember as a kid, they lived down in Orlando and going down there uh, one time. It was, uh, we used to go down there over Christmas and all the family would stay at uh, my grandparents and we'd all meet up, aunts, cousins blah, blah, blah. And uh, we went out to uh, Lake Buena Vista uh, and uh, we went out to dinner out there. And of course, Di- Disney's always very reasonable. Um, and um, so anyway, we go out, we're having this big dinner, all the family. And um, uh, I, I love shrimp cocktails. I mean, what's not to love about a shrimp cocktail? That's, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's great stuff. Well, my grandfather was so funny. He says, he says, you know, I know you love, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to keep ordering until you're full. And, and so I must have had about six or seven shrimp cocktails. And he'd be like, bring them another one. And my grandmother was over there, and she was just ticking. I mean, you could just, it was just, it was killing her. I mean, she just had this tick as he kept, bring them another one. You know, uh, my dad, you know, Lay, you want another drink? Bring them another drink. It was just, it was just, it was driving her um, to distraction. I mean, pearls before swine uh, is what she thought. You know, she's probably thinking, get him a cheeseburger. Um, just, you know what? Um, this is crazy. This is this is reckless. This makes no sense uh, whatsoever. But I mean, you know, the funny thing is, of course, I, I still remember it um, fondly to this day for for any for any number of, of, of reasons. But but one obviously was just um, the 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 love uh, and the the sort of the whole unmarried the love, the grace, just the lavishness uh, of my grandfather for his grandson. I mean, he just, and, you know, he had a blast. Um, he, he loved doing it. There was nothing grudging about it. He, there was nothing, quote, sensible um, about it um, by any means. And yet he just, you know, obviously he, he loved uh, doing that. And, you know, as I say, in some ways it's kind of a little funny, silly thing, but but I remember it to this day, um, and I remember it in in a significant way, and and it's it's illustrative of the absolutely insensible way in which God extends His love and His grace um, to you and to me. I mean, He just sort of recklessly um, showers it upon us, um, invests in us with um, with not a promise of a return, invests in us um, though all the sort of uh, evidence leading up to this point would say, you know what, bad investment, <laughs> bad investment. I wouldn't, you know what, I'd, I, I, I wouldn't do that. And yet, of course, he just wonderfully, um, fabulously does not act in a sensible way in which he pours out his grace um, to you and to me. And of course, when we think about um, the cross, um, 
that was not the sensible way to go, for God to go about saving his people. Uh, and, and yet, um, he, he gave himself um, freely for, for you and for me. He, he showered love and grace uh, and mercy upon us. He, he pursued us uh, in a very sort of reckless way, in a way which is not um, sensible, and, and the way in which he, he showers uh, that, that grace and that uh, extravagance and that love uh, upon us. And so part of the invitation, I guess, to you and to me is, is this. Um, I guess first and foremost, to believe the gospel, uh, to, to believe that which we hear proclaimed to us again and again about a God who sort of pursues us and seeks us and his, and his love and his grace and showers us with mercy, uh, with, with blessings, who desires um, that through his wounds that, that we might be made whole, that we might be healed, to, to believe that message of the gospel and to believe in the fact that the kingdom of God has in fact come into the world in Jesus. That, that in Jesus and through his cross and through his resurrection, that in absolute certainty, the powers of sin and death have been defeated. Um, you know, it's kind of one of those, it's the now and not yet. The battle still goes on, but it's already, the victory has been assured. I mean, Jesus has already accomplished um, the defeat of the powers of sin and death. And you and I are invited to be people who live in God's kingdom economy. Uh, people who receive that mercy and that blessing, knowing we don't deserve it, but yet knowing that it's been given to us freely. But also people that are so drunk with that good news um, that we sort of similarly um, give uh, and, and, and forgive uh, and live with, with a freedom and a hope that's not based in just the, the circumstances which surround us. Um, share one uh, little final story and then I invite your questions, reflections, rebuttals. Um, but it's, uh, I've, I've, I've shared this before, there's a, there's a um, really fabulous book um, called Peace Like a River. And I actually uh, talked about this before, but there's, there's just one after another after another um, uh, instance uh, in this book of, of, the, of, the, of the grace of God. And so let me tell you the, uh, let me tell you the, um, a bit of a bit of the story here, and here's here's the uh, here's the challenge um, of this. Just gosh, this one sort of where to where to begin and and, and where to start. Well, uh, it's the story uh, about a uh, a young boy, and um, his sister is actually a sister um, is sweet. And actually, I know some of y'all have any of y'all ever read this book, Peace Like a River. Um, uh, great, great book. Well, it's it, kind of it's a, a fascinating and novel form, um, the gospel uh, being shared. Well, um, there's this boy, and his father uh, is the most um, uh, intelligent and, and, and fabulous uh, and godly man, and it just drives him to distraction to know that his father's the janitor um, at a school. And of course, you know, how many kids... Um, how many kids would just sort of take that, hey, hey, no problem? And in the book, he says, you know, I know I shouldn't have been ashamed, but 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 I was ashamed. You know, every time Dad Dad showed up, and there was this awful. It's kind of, it's a telling of the gospel, and there's there's kind of a, um, I wouldn't call it supernatural, but it's uh, uh, almost uh, sort of mystical in some ways. And so anyway, um, here's here's what happens. There's this horrible principle of this school. And uh, his name was uh, Mr. Holgren, uh, and his first name is Chester, and, and the kid's nickname for him is Chester the Fester, because his, 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 his face is 
sort of constantly um, weepy and uh, and broken out and just sort of uh, illustrative of, of of the character of his heart. He's kind of the the uh, the principal that that enjoys um, intimidating and bullying kids. Um, you know that maybe you had a principal like that or a teacher like that. Um, back, I had some great teachers uh, back in the day, and I had some horrible teachers um, um, back in the day. Uh, back in the day as well but so there's this moment where um, the kids are there and uh, they're there and it's uh, actually it's Thanksgiving time and uh, and uh, there's Thanksgiving and they're there and they're having a little Thanksgiving celebration and they have uh, they have these um, pilgrim hats that they've made and they're they're all wearing them and uh, and then he's he says this um, uh, it was nonetheless a glad-hearted gathering there in the cafeteria, at least until Mr. Holgren came down to make some brooding remarks about Thanksgiving, probably having to do with privation and death. He'd certainly picked the right career, had Mr. Holgren. His every feature spoke of resentment and annoyance, and to people under five feet tall of physical danger. His poor face looked always festering with some imminent parasitical hatch. Nothing could quiet a happy crowd of kids like Mr. Holgren's unannounced appearance. He loved superintending. He was made for it. So when he marched in that morning with a determined grin on his face, we froze. Boys and girls recognized Sinister as handily as dogs do. Here it was. My best guess now is he got it in his head to try relating to us. Uh, but when he produced a paper pilgrim's hat from behind his back and put it on his own head, I think we all nearly bolted. I had a nightmare once in which the devil entered my room and opened my closet and started trying on my clothes. Um, this was similar. Mr. Holgren stood there with his mouth grinning and his eyes in some sort of torment and the pilgrim hat. Well, I'd actually thought those handmade hats were pretty neat until the superintendent donned his. Suddenly they seemed repulsive and I reached up and took mine off. Then Mr. Holgren said his few words. I've forgotten them. Doesn't matter. No doubt he thought we were all spellbound and that he was giving Miss Carlin and the other teachers present a fine lesson in captivating school children. What had my attention, though, was something I hadn't noticed before. I'd been so transfixed by Mr. Holgren's strange manner, I hadn't seen the neatly scripted letters near the squared-off top of his hat, very small capitals and white chalk, easy to miss but really quite readable. Shoot me, they said, and letters so smoothly drafted Miss Carlin herself might have written them. Well, I saw that and wanted to laugh, not just wanted to. I tell you, that laugh was down in my stomach like bad beef. It meant to come out. Desperately, I strove for placid thoughts, which meant, of course, not looking at Mr. Holgren's hat, not thinking those words, and yet they called like a summons, like a hissed invitation, shoot me, calling to the laugh inside my belly. You want torture? A giggle crept up my old esophagus. I swallowed it down. My eyeballs watered. The worst of it was I seemed to be the only kid who'd noticed. Either that or everyone else had iron control. A terrible thought. I looked around, glazed faces everywhere. No one else had seen. Oh, but that moment was a lonesome place. Mr. Holgren talked on. I molared the inside of my cheek. The laugh stayed put, but I felt it down there, accruing strength. Goodness, it made me nervous. I chanced to look at Mr. Holgren. Shoot me, plain as day. I swallowed about 12 times. Then Peter Emerson leaned over to my ear. Bang, he whispered. <laughs> I knew defeat, though mouth plastered hands 
through mouth plastered hands, the laugh ripped forth. <laughs> a ruddy bray that condemned me to the stares of a gas pilgrims, and who knew what violent repercussions at the hands of Mr. Holgren. I laughed so hard my sight went dark. I laid my forehead down on the table to sob. Did anyone laugh with me? Who knows? I do remember it felt solitary as the wave rolled off, and I remember looking up through tears to see the glaring superintendent, death in a hat, shoot me, still red upon his mighty crown, and I remember wishing I could arrange to be shot at that moment and have it done with. Well, so here's what happens. He, he falls out. The milk bottles get knocked off the table, and they break um, there um, on the floor, and, and who comes in to clean it up? His, his father. Uh, comes in to clean up the situation and he goes on and then as would happen dad appeared instinctively I feared for him for a curse seemed hovering in that room and I'll admit I feared for myself as well I owned a bit of rotten pride in those days that recoiled at the sight of dad and coveralls it didn't seem fair you understand I knew dad was the smartest best-hearted most capable man in any room he occupied knew too that he was beloved by God that whatever he touched was apt to prosper sometimes in mighty and inexplicable style. To see him, therefore, in janitor clothes seemed to me the result of a strange and discomforting arithmetic. How could it be that his boss was a man like Mr. Holgren, whom Swede called Chester the Fester on account of his face, a man who treated Dad with futile contempt, who talked uh, about scouring Dad's teeth? And this bothered me, too. Dad would come into our room pushing his broom, and always some dumb kid would turn to me and smirk, janitor's kid, mop jockey, cleaned up any good puke lately? I'm sorry if you thought better of me, but the fact is I spent whole hours imagining alarming humiliations for those kids. Big dumb kids, always with effortless all-star lungs. Oh, yes. An hour spent thus were not bitter, but passed like joyous dreams, in which Bethany Orchard um, always chanced along to see the dumb kids at their most abject. It's true. No grudge um, ever had a better nurse. And so he goes on, and uh, long story short, uh, Holgren has all the kids uh, held there and fires his father uh, in front of him. Um, and so you can imagine, uh, as, as, as any kid uh, would feel in that particular um, situation, he attempts to um, humiliate uh, this boy. He attempts to uh, humiliate Jeremiah. And he attempts to um, humiliate um, his father as well. And he does this, and then um, he says this. Um, As we clattered up our trays, I heard Holgren demand Dad's explanation. I saw Dad lean down and voice a soft reply. At this, the superintendent made the most fitful transformation. His neck compressed into his shoulders, his hands clawed and shrunk upward into his sleeves. He stamped his foot like the maladjusted. He was Mr. Hyde. He roared a few words, and Dad became a former janitor. Uh, most boys, I'm guessing, would have never watched outright as their fathers were stripped of their livelihood. And I don't want to pound it too hard, but the cruelty of that moment still impresses me. Uh, and then he goes on and says this, um, as Dad lifted his hand, sudden as a wind shift touched Holgren's face and pulled away. It was the oddest little slap you ever saw. Holgren quailed back a step, hunching defensively, but Dad turned and walked off. And the superintendent stood with his fingers strangely a wonder over his chin, cheeks, and forehead. 
Then I saw that his bedeviled complexion, that face set always at a rolling boil had changed. I saw instead skin of a healthy tan, a hale blush spread over cheekbones that suddenly held definition. Above his eyes, the shine of constant seepage had vanished and light lay at rest upon his brow. Listen, there are easier things than witnessing a miracle of God. For his part, Mr. Holgren didn't know what to make of it. He looked horrified. The new piece in his hide didn't sink deep. He covered his face from view and slunk from the cafeteria. I knew what had happened, though. I knew exactly what to make of it, and it made me mad enough to spit. What business had Dad in healing that man? What right had Holgren to cross paths with the great God Almighty? The injustice took my breath away. Um, truly, um, it did. So, hopefully that's not too out of left field and random, but it, it's, a, it's a great book. It's a fascinating uh, encounter. Um, God's Economy, uh, uh, an unsensible response. Um, the man was, they attempted to humiliate him, um, to fire him, and yet he responds with, and obviously there's a little of the miraculous um, here, but with a word of prayer, with a word uh, of healing, a not, a not responding in kind. And I, I share all that with you because what's offered to you and to me is, is this, um, to see that God is not sensible. Um, and the opportunity to both receive freely that gift that he gives to us and to be people who live trusting in his economy at work in the world. Well, as I share that with you, uh, let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Um, thanks be to God.